Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, everybody. The Lord be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor here. And, um, you know, at the start of every year, I do a bit of a book purge. If you've ever been upstairs into my office, you know that I've got quite a library there. So at the start of each year, I try to get rid of books that either I know that I'll never read or ones that I don't think anybody should read. And uh, this time, one of those books was one that I was actually quite fond of. It's a book by Mark Driscoll called Doctrine. Some of you are smiling. It's kind of too bad, too, because it's not a bad book. Like, it's full of truth. There's actually not a, nothing in here that I really strongly disagree with. I think, actually, Mark Driscoll has a really good handle on the, on the truth of the Christian faith. But, then there's a big but here, many of you know, and I know that many of you have listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, which tells the story of this mega church in Seattle, Washington, in the U.S., that had grown and blown up to thousands and thousands of people, and it was like the ultimate success story in church world. And, um, but behind the scenes, there were dozens and dozens of people who were being, like, bullied and abused and insulted and slandered by the pastor, and the pastor was Mark Driscoll, like the same Mark Driscoll who, who wrote this book. And in many ways, it was his way or the highway. And Mark Driscoll actually used to say, he used to boast that there's a pile of broken bodies on the road behind the bus that is Mars Hill, and that's how he liked it. How many of you are familiar with the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast? Okay, so actually most of us. So I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted about a book like this, because yes, it's full of truth, but I can't quote him without a whole bunch of apology and explanation. And so I, I don't. That's why I've removed it and all of his books from my library. I'm not saying that we have to cancel Mark Driscoll. That's not my point. I am saying that accurate and true doctrine isn't enough. You with me on that? It's not enough. Now we're going to come back to that. Now that it's 2023, we're heading into our sixth year as a church together. You know, when we planted this thing, when we planted what would become Benediction Church, we knew that we had a lot of questions to answer. Like, why does Hamilton need another church? Uh, when, when is it a church? And when is it, you know, like what makes something a church and not just a bunch of friends hanging out together in each other's living rooms? What happens in a sermon? How does, what's the best way to get people to, to learn and understand the word? Who's supposed to give a sermon? Who should take communion? Why do we even, why would we even do that? Like, or is it some kind of a relic of, of you know, ancient times? What do we do with our kids? Are kids a distraction? Should we just put the kids away all morning and get them out of sight so that we never have to think about them and then real church can begin? So these are all sorts of questions that we had to answer. And the, ways that, the way that you answer questions like these really depends on what you believe a follower of Jesus needs. You know, like a, discipleship, what you believe about discipleship is, is what informs everything and what gives us answers to all these really important questions. Now, in a lot of Christian spaces, discipleship is what happens when we read a book or we study a passage of Scripture or a, or a bunch of passages of Scripture, and we learn those, and we master a bunch of concepts, and then we graduate onto more, more complex ones or more complicated, challenging ones. 
And in this paradigm, a mature disciple is somebody who knows their way around the Bible. You know? You, you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a person who might, you know, they can, they can find something in Scripture, they can defend a, a, a theological idea, they can tell you where it comes from in, in Scripture. And so because of that, because they've demonstrated maturity in this paradigm, they might be asked maybe to lead a small group, they might be asked to teach a Sunday school class. If you're really mature in this paradigm, you might get asked to preach a sermon. You might, you might get to lead a committee or, or join a, the, the board of directors or something like that. And so in, in this paradigm, we measure maturity in terms of what you know, in terms of what you believe, in terms of your understanding, and you are rewarded with leadership. Has that been generally you know, for, for a lot of us, have, has this been our experience that this is kind of how we understand maturity? Yeah, I see a lot of nodding heads. Now, it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Okay? Now, today, because we're at the start of a new year, it's a good time to come back to our mission as a church and ask, why are we doing this? Why in the world do we do this, this stuff that we do? Why do we gather here on, on Sunday mornings? Why do we do these faith families on Sunday evenings and through the week? Why would we do all of this stuff? And this morning's passage, which we heard read, has a, an answer for us. I'm going to invite you to come back with me to Mark's gospel. We're going to spend uh, the bulk of our study time there this morning. But it actually begins in Mark chapter 8. There, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This, what comes next is what's called the transfiguration, okay? It's a really key moment in the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus, but it begins back in chapter 8. And here he's teaching the disciples, and he says, in chapter 8, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In some ways, we could stop there because that's discipleship, okay? To identify with Jesus... Is it, it, means, it means everything changes. It means self-denial. It means putting down our comforts and putting down our preferences and picking up our cross and following Jesus where he leads us. And sometimes he leads us into hard places and sometimes he leads us alongside hard people. And, and, uh, and that's the way of Jesus, okay? It's an it's a apprenticeship. It's, a, it's following. It's, it's imitation of Jesus. That's the way of Jesus. And then... At the end of that lesson, he makes this promise, and this is, in, this is the first verse of chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 1. He says, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. So that's a cool promise. Like, in your lifetime, you're going to see the kingdom come. You're going to see what this looks like within your lifetime. And then it happens. Now, Mark sees a link, Mark the gospel writer, he sees a link between that lesson on discipleship and this thing that happens next up on the top of the mountain. And he, we know that he sees a link because he says, after six days or six days later, as if to say six days later, they're going to get that glimpse of the kingdom. And it goes like this in chapter 9. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and he led them up a high mountain where they're all alone. There, he was transfigured before them. It's a word that means like he was changed, transformed, and it describes what happened. His, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. 
So that's the scene. Moses and Elijah. Everybody just seems to know that's Moses and Elijah. Like, hold on, everybody. That's, that's, we know that, we know Jesus. And that's Moses. And holy cow, that's Elijah. What is going on here? So Peter offers to set up three tents. And then we're told that a cloud covers the scene and a voice says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And then it's over. And there's a bunch of reasons why this story is important, but I want to make some observations and just kind of ask the text some questions. First of all, why does Moses appear? Like, why Moses? If you know Moses, if you know his story in the Old Testament, he's the lawgiver, okay? He's the guy that goes up Mount Sinai, meets with God, receives the tablets of the law, and delivers them and sort of enforces the law. If there's like an embodiment of God's law, it's Moses. Now, why Elijah? He's, he's the other visitor, Elijah the prophet. Why him? Prophets are God's mouthpiece. The prophets aren't so much the people who tell the future as, as they're the people who speak for God to the culture and call people to repent. So Elijah, if you know his story, he's the guy who had this confrontation with like 450 priests of Baal that didn't go so well for those priests. You know, he's the guy who heard God's still small voice. Scripture tells us he didn't die, apparently, and he was taken up to, up to heaven on a chariot of fire. And so if Moses is like the embodiment of the law, it's like Elijah is the embodiment of the prophets. And that's who we've got here. And these guys have been gone a long, long time. And they're back. And they're here with Jesus as if to say, like, we're on the same team. Like the law and the prophets are here. We're back. We've come out of retirement to testify that Jesus is important, that his kingdom is coming. And that's why Moses and Elijah are there. So another question we should ask, why does Peter suggest that they build shelters? What's the idea with the, with, what's the shelter idea? I would just say, let's not be too hard on Peter. He's, uh, he's nervous. He's in awe. I don't know if I would have done any better. Um, Mark says something really funny. He, that's, he said this because he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what else to say. He doesn't understand what's happening, and so he makes a suggestion based on what he thinks is happening. See, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of a rabbi, and you are traveling with your rabbi, you sleep in the open air. But your rabbi gets a shelter. So Peter sees these three, and he offers three shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because as far as Peter can tell, they've just been introduced to their two new rabbis. Like, ah, that's why Jesus brought us up here, so that we could meet his, his new ministry partners. Like, now that's not crazy. He's not crazy for thinking. It's like, it's like our, our rabbi is on par with Moses and Elijah. He's, Jesus is equal with them. We can, put, we can take our rabbi's teaching and we can put it side by side with the law and the prophets any day. That's how we know that our rabbi is a big deal because our rabbi hangs out with Moses and Elijah. That's what Peter thinks is going on. That Jesus has just been sort of given equal status with the law and the prophets, with Moses and Elijah, except there's a voice from heaven that comes. And we Apparently, it's the voice of God because the voice says, this is my son whom I love. About Jesus, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And after the voice, the two are gone. Moses and Elijah are gone. Now, what's with that? Why are they gone? 
They're gone because Moses and Elijah aren't needed in the same way anymore. Okay? There was a time when if you wanted to get a glimpse of God's holiness, you went to the law. And if you wanted to understand God's mercy, you went to the prophets. And that's how God was revealed. That's where God was revealed. That's where you went to find God. But now, God has revealed himself in a son, in a beloved son. He's not just another rabbi among others. He's not just another great teacher on par with Moses and Elijah, as though he's equal with Moses and Elijah. Jesus is the supreme, ultimate, final revelation of who God is. So it's like, what do we do with Jesus? Well, the voice voice tells us, listen to him. Listen to him. Obey him. This doesn't mean that we obey Jesus instead of the law and the prophets. Jesus doesn't disagree with the stuff that's in there, but he interprets them for us. He fulfills them for us. He is what they were talking about all along. In fact, this is why, fun fact, this is why after Jesus was raised from the dead, he's out for a walk with his disciples, and they don't understand how this resurrection fits into the plan. Jesus, in Luke 24, we were told by Luke, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is also why when Jesus sent the disciples out in what's called the Great Commission, he says, go and, you know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Because obeying Jesus is a big deal. He says, in, in, in fact, this is why he says in Luke chapter 6, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. In other words, you want to know if you are mature, it's because you are becoming like your teacher. You're becoming like him. And that's the message here, okay? Discipleship isn't a knowledge thing. It's listening to Jesus. If Jesus says that you believe something that's wrong, or if you don't believe something that you really should, you should listen to him. If, if he says that you love the wrong thing, not just that you believe the wrong thing, but if, if Jesus is saying that you, that you love the wrong thing or that you don't love something that you should, listen to him. If, if Jesus is saying that you're doing something wrong or that you're not doing something that you should be, listen to him. That's the message of the transfiguration. The law and the prophets bow to Jesus. That's the message. And if they bow to Jesus, we should do. We must listen to him. Now, to make the point like crystal clear for the disciples and for us, Mark goes on and he shares a few stories to kind of illustrate it. So in chapter 9, right after this happens, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you, I want you all to keep this quiet. Don't tell anybody what you've just seen right? Keep a lid on this. And then, they're, then they have this question. They've got this theological question. Jesus, we thought that Elijah was supposed to come back before Messiah. Like, how, how does this work? We thought he was supposed to come back first. Jesus says, like, aren't you paying attention? Haven't you been listening? Why do you think Scripture says what it does? Elijah has come. Now, Jesus is referring to John the Baptist, who is kind of like a a type of Elijah. And what Jesus has just done is he's corrected their beliefs that that were wrong. He's corrected their theology. So they have a theology problem. Jesus has just corrected it. The next thing that happens, he goes on, and Mark tells the story of how the disciples are walking and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. 
So Jesus uses this as a teachable moment. He says, whoever wants to come first must be last and serve. And he grabs a kid and he says, this is who's first in my kingdom. Now, that's not a theology problem. That's a problem of loves. That's a problem of desire and priorities. Jesus is correcting a bad attitude. They care too much about fame and about power and privilege. Their failure isn't that they believe the wrong things. Okay, this isn't, it's not even mainly a problem of doing. It's a problem of loving. They love the wrong things. That's what Jesus is correcting in this next, next little bit. After that, verse 17 and 19, the, the, uh, we're told that the disciples, they're, uh, they're out on a little mission where they're trying to cast a demon out of a boy, and they can't do it. They fail over and over, and, and again, Jesus wants to use this as a teachable moment, because apparently they're not watching. They're not learning from his example. They're not listening. And so Jesus is able to cast the demon out no problem, and then he goes back to them and he says, this kind can only come out by prayer. So their failure isn't that they believed something wrong. It's not that they loved something wrong. It's that they were doing something wrong. Their approach was all wrong. They were doing the wrong thing. And we could go on and on and on. And each time we get a glimpse of what discipleship looks like. It's not just beliefs, although it is, but it's also our loves and it's our actions. Okay? Discipleship is our beliefs, our loves, and our actions. And listen, to the degree that we are growing in all three ways, that's how we can know that we are listening to him and becoming like Jesus. And if we're not, if we're not listening to him, and if we're not growing in all three ways, we will not become like Jesus. That's the message of the transfiguration. Now, in Benediction Church, since we got started, we've been using this, this language of the, the three orthos. Uh, many of you who've been with us for a while, you've, you've heard this language, but if you've, been, if you've only joined us in the last little while, you're, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? The three orthos are orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy. Let me quickly walk you through what these, what these mean here. Orthodoxy, you might be familiar with, that's right belief. That's believing the right things. Here's Here's where we ask, in orthodoxy, we ask, are my beliefs true? Are they mine? Or am I just like, am I just parroting what I've heard? Am I just imitating what my parents, what I think my parents want me to believe? Like, do I believe what Jesus believes? Do I reject what he rejects? That's what we mean by orthodoxy. Then there's orthopathy, okay? If orthodoxy is right beliefs, orthopathy is right loves, right affections, right desires, okay? Here is where we want to ask, do I love what Jesus loves? Do I hate what Jesus hates? Do I long and do I yearn for what he longs for? That's what we mean by orthopathy, all right? And then we've, so after orthodoxy and orthopathy, we've got orthopraxy. This is right living or right actions, Here's where we're asking, do I give my time and my attention and my focus to the things that Jesus did? Okay, am I doing the things that Jesus did and am I staying away from the things that he avoided? That's what we mean by orthopraxy. When I first encountered this language of the three orthos, it was, I remember it was 10 years ago in a meeting of other pastors and it changed everything for me. This was like a, a set of blinders came off 
and I could make sense of everything that I had seen and experienced in church world over the years. This explains why people like Mark Driscoll keep being platformed and held up as role models. It explains why some of my Christian friends have left the faith and some have stuck. It changed how I do my job as a pastor. My job isn't only and mainly to teach the Bible, although that's certainly part of it. My, my job isn't mainly to be a theologian, although that's part of it. My job is to equip the saints to listen to Jesus in all three ways. That's my job as a pastor, and that's why we planted a church. This is why we planted a church. This is why we do the things that we do, so that we will become more like Jesus and hopefully bring some people along with us. Now, for this to really land, I want us to kind of look at some examples, okay? Uh, I want to, in fact, we're going to interact a little bit, but I'm going to show you some examples, and we're just going to chat about what these, what these mean. So let's, let's first of all take Mark Driscoll for an example, okay? Now, I don't want to be uh, unfair to, to Mark Driscoll, I, but I am going to suggest that at least in the season when he was bullying people in Mars Hill, and when he was making rude and sexist and homophobic jokes, I'm going to suggest that Mark Driscoll was low in orthopathy and low in orthopraxy, even though he was high in orthodoxy. Okay? Now here's what that looks like. If I were to represent that visually, here is what it would look like. Okay? Orthodoxy is very high, orthopathy is very low, orthopraxy is very low. Now, simplistic perhaps, but, but uh, I think accurate. I think, I think fair. I want to show you some other examples, though. Let's go to the next slide, please. So this is a person who is very high in orthopathy, but low in the other two areas. I'm going to put it out to you. Would you just maybe shout out some words that come to mind? Like, what would you expect to be true of a person who's very high in orthopathy, but very low in orthodoxy, very low in orthopraxy? What would you expect? What would you think might be true of this person? Yep. So very caring. They care about the right, right things. Absolutely. Yeah. But, <laughs> but there are some things missing, right? Like that compassion, that love uh, isn't also combined with, say, like maybe a, a solid grasp of the gospel. Uh, maybe they, I mean, this, this person could be full of compassion, but sitting at home and playing, you know, Halo for eight hours a day. So it's, this, so this isn't a, this is, we wouldn't call this mature uh, discipleship. You with me so far? All right. So let's, I want to keep interacting. Let's go to the next slide, please. So this is a person who's low in orthodoxy, low in orthopathy, but high in orthopraxy. So what would that look like? Give me some words. Just shout them out. You don't have to put your hand up, but shout out some words. What do you think might be true of this person? What would you expect to be true of this person? Yeah, good. Activists. They're probably very active. They're probably, you know, concerned and motivated to, to change things. Absolutely. Pardon? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they're a pietist. I think that's a good word to describe this person. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they probably volunteer a lot. This is probably the person you can count on. They might actually be on the verge of burnout. Other, other thoughts coming to mind? Yeah. 
Mm. So that's an interesting thought. So because this person's uh, activity and action and orthopraxy isn't also combined with mature orthodoxy and orthopathy, there's, it's possible that this person is like, man, I'm the only one, I'm the only one serving. Nobody else cares. Nobody else is as interested or, or nobody else loves the Lord as much as I do. Yeah, I think that's a really good thought. Others? Okay, great thought. Yeah, like this person probably looks like they've got it all together because they're busy in all the right ways. Absolutely. But, but that their, their busyness, their activity isn't, isn't married with mature orthodoxy and orthopathy. Good, let's keep going. So this one, this is a person who is growing in orthopathy and orthopraxy, but isn't growing in their orthodoxy. What would you expect to be true of this person? I'll tell you what, don't tell me, tell the person beside you. Tell somebody who you came in with, talk about it, and I'll hear from you in just a minute. Five seconds. Okay, how would you describe this person? Shout some words out for me. So not very grounded. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good definitely a good catch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to invite us to kind of overcome our, our like reluctance to judge. You're not being judgmental. We're being, what we're trying to do is talk about maturity, okay? Because you need to do this for yourselves. That's where we're going with this. You understand that, right? You need to be able to do this for yourself and look at your own life and kind of go, shoot, like, I'm not growing in my orthodoxy. I need to really make that a priority. Or like, I'm, I'm not growing in my orthopraxy. I need to like put myself in environments where I'm going to be challenged to grow. That's where we're going with this. Just kind of a spoiler alert. So did anybody have any other thoughts they wanted to shout out about this? Somebody maybe we haven't heard from yet. Yeah. So this actually, okay, so if I, if I understand you right, uh, Irene's saying this person might fall into the trap of feeling like they're not doing enough. They're busy, they're very compassionate, and yet there's always more work to do. And maybe because they don't have a great sense of doctrine or a great sense of, or a great grasp of the gospel. They don't, maybe they've missed out on grace and God's mercy and God's patience and the process that it is. And so this person might be, this person might be close to burnout because they're carrying all the, they're very, very busy and they're carrying the weight of so much compassion and desire and love for other people, right? Anybody else? Yeah. Okay, so let me just make sure I understand you right. Guided, guided by social justice in the sense that like, it's not, it's, it's kind of like they're responding to kind of the cultural whims and stuff, going with, with where the culture takes them so, in terms of social justice. And, uh, but not, it's not, not their, their choices aren't being maybe filtered through the lens of the gospel. Is that fair to say, Nate? Okay, awesome, thank you. So they might be beating themselves up because they haven't had time and, and the ability to study the way that they wanted to. Yeah, for sure. 
Now, last one I want to show you. Yeah, this one. Thank you. So this is a person who's growing in all three. They're quite, ma quite mature in all three. Any words come to mind when you see this, when you see this person? Christ-like. Thank you. You should be up here preaching this message. Thanks, Mike. Others? Yeah. Okay. So the whole person, they're very engaged. This is, we, we might say this person's integrated. They've got an integrated faith because their actions, their loves, and their beliefs are all kind of balanced and, and kind of in harmony. They're growing in all three areas. Any others we want to toss out? Any other words we want to use to describe such a person? This is where we want to come to. You with me on that? We want to get to, we want, we, we want to be people who are growing in all three areas. Now, to be fair, to be fair, I think there are seasons of life where we see more growth in some areas than in others. I don't know anybody who is equally mature in all three areas, but I do know that if we only pay attention to our doctrine and our beliefs and our orthodoxy, we're going to fail in the mission of the church. Not just the mission of Benediction Church, but the mission of the Big C Church. And every once in a while, the church learns this lesson the hard way. It was Mark Driscoll a few years ago, but it wasn't long before he got hired to do the same thing in another church. And we could also talk about guys like Ravi Zacharias. We could talk about Bill Hybels or Bruxy Cavey closer to home. I don't love talking about this, but it just keeps happening and happening. And, I, I, and we also don't know everything that went down with these guys, but I know that we can be 100% sure that the problem in their story wasn't a lack of orthodoxy. These things didn't happen because they didn't know their Bibles well enough. If we're going to listen to Jesus, if we're going to become like him, we need to pay just as much attention to what's happening in our hearts and what we're doing with our hands as we do with what happens in, with our minds. And this is the view of discipleship that drives everything that we do in Benediction Church. This is why we gather every Sunday morning for Word and Table because we need to be taught. Of course we do. But we also need to be together. We need to, we need to gather and participate in these ancient practices like praying the Lord's Prayer and taking communion because, yes, they seem so strange and foreign, like we're part of an alien culture. Like, who in the world lines up to take a cracker and dip it in juice? Like, who in the world does that? Well, you do it if you believe that you're being formed and becoming like Jesus by the things that we learn and by the things that we learn to love and by the things that we do. That's why we gather for word and table. We all, that's, this is why we scatter into the city as, as faith families. Because this doesn't happen if it's just, you know, us listening to a sermon and going home and doing the whole thing again next Sunday. This only works if we're together in life-on-life-on-life life community. And that's what a faith family is. That's why we ask you to set aside time in your calendar to be together with a small community a couple of times a month. That's why we ask you to be available for each other when life happens. And sometimes you might need to show up at the hospital or on moving day or if a car breaks down or something. It's just when life stuff happens, your faith family ought to be the people that we can turn to for support and for encouragement and for correction. And our faith families in Benediction Church are as important to our discipleship as anything that happens on Sunday morning. We really believe that. This 
view of discipleship, this understanding of discipleship, this is why we gather in huddles to study scripture. This is why we do theology pubs every once in a while. And you're going to be hearing more about both of those things, huddles and theology pubs, over the, over the weeks and months to come. Orthodoxy isn't the main thing. It's not the only thing, but it is something. And so that's why we do these things. That's, this is also, this view of discipleship, this is also why we serve the city in mission. This is why we work with ministry partners and neighbors nearby, because when we are on mission, we go out to bring the good news to people who haven't already heard it. We go and we serve and we love people whom Jesus loves and Jesus wants to see served. And as we serve them, we are also growing and becoming more like Jesus. Isn't that crazy? That's discipleship. It's all discipleship. And as this happens more and more and more, it's going to be just a little bit more in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Thank you.